Welcome to episode 67 of Redboard Rewind. My name is Spencer Lugamiel, and today on the program we have new in the money writer, John Pinder. John covers the late pick fives usually throughout the week for Gulfstream Park. We're going over Saturday's wonderful Holy Bowl card from Gulfstream Park. And some angles we talk about are how using second-itis and the top three finishers can help you find value in underneath exactas and first-time dirt horses in derby preps. Oh, and we also come up with a great new shirt idea. This is a Redboard Rewind. It's the same old story in this cycle. We go back and forth. We go back and forth. Ain't good for me while we do this for. We go back and forth. Won't do this no more. Always have it selling. Always have it Now I'd like to welcome in my second guest of the afternoon and In The Money alum, John Pinder. John, how are you today? Good, Mr. Luganbeel. How are you? I am good. Mr. Luganbeel, I like that ring. Hey, Pete, <laughs> let's uh, let's start calling me that instead of heel Spencer or anything regularly. Uh, glad to have you on. Me and you kind of started our new adventure into uh, not just being on podcasts, but also writing. I had done it previously. I don't know if this is your first time writing, but... Uh, you're doing some late pick fives from Gulfstream throughout the week for In The Money. How are you enjoying it so far, and how is it? Is it helping your handicapping, or you feel like you're digging deeper into races? Yeah, for sure. Spencer, I think uh, it – I was about to say Mr. Logan Bill again, but we don't want to get Pete too, too riled up too soon. <laughs> um, it is. It, it helps a lot, I think, when you've got – you don't have to, but you're obligated – for the for the readers to go through kind of each horse you spend just a little bit more time and i think it gives me more clarity with my picks unfortunately i've been yet to uh <laughs> i've been yet to hit one we come really close every day it's like you know we're missing it by one or by a nose or two or three here or there but uh it's definitely a, a valuable exercise I, th- I think that that in itself though was a good valuable exercise you know people who you know study the track day in day out everyone thinks that everyone hits a pick five once a week if you read the old handicapping books, you know, people are going, you know, on 0 for 30, 0 for 45 streaks. And that's why you need the bankroll to play. And when I see people coming to the track and they're like, I'm like, oh, you're a beginner. Here, let me teach you win play show. I want to play the Rainbow Six. I want to play the, like, I don't understand it's a 20 cent wager, but like you haven't even looked at a form before. I want to hit the million dollar wager. It's People just don't understand that in this game, it's like baseball. If you're, if you're you know, three for 10, you're in the Hall of Fame. Sure, it uh, it's not a game you can just uh, throw money at and expect a uh, expect a big return. So, it takes a lot of work, but uh, it's a labor of love for me. What caught you started into the game, and uh, where did it first start? Did you like start by reading books? What kind of tracks did you start off playing? Uh, first, I, I grew up in Houston, so uh, would take my dad over to to Sam Houston and. Uh, piddle around and just him being there at the track uh he was up in age and dealing mm-hmm. with dementia so it was just a great time for him to get back to something that he loved me spending time with him there um so it was just just there and it was it was mainly win place and show um even to this day i, I find it hard to to win at my home track if you will <laughs> due to the due to the fields and the competitive to the small fields and the competitive nature there at, at Sam Houston, but started off just win place and show and, uh, 
some some guys named JK and PTF had this <laughs> podcast back in the day and they were talking about tournaments. It's like, what, what's this tournament deal? And uh, it, it opened up a whole nother realm of, of horse racing kind of brought me back to it because I can't get to the track here in, in Texas. I can't have an ADW. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the tournament world kind of opened uh, another opportunity for me to, to be active and to play and really get into racing. And that, uh, that flipped the switch and, and uh, here we are. Been doing some writing. Um, it's caused me to to actually get into tournaments. I did really well at uh, not the NHC year before last. Mm-hmm. Finished uh, finished fifteenth there. And uh, again, as you just continue to grow with this game, you know it it starts. If you can you can make money uh, just betting at the windows, but there's so many different different ways to go about doing it. Whether it's in the tournament space or horizontal betting or Pick three, pick twos, um, pick twos, daily doubles. However, you can can go about it. There's a lot of different avenues to to have fun with it. I like that though. Pick two. Can we get a shirt, please? PPF, JK. <laughs> can we please get on that right away? Um, I, I feel the same way. I feel like if you're not learning every day, if you become stagnant or you think you've plateaued, there's always something to learn. Uh, I'm someone uh, ADD. I'm very hyper focused when I start something new. Uh, started playing chess over the quarantine period. I'm still not very good, but just read a bunch of books. Same thing I kind of did with horse racing, uh, video gaming, Call of Duty. I try and play competitively uh, against some of the best. And I feel like if you just if you go on and you just you know half-ass it, it it's just you're never going to get better. And I feel that this show, the whole reason I wanted to do this show is because I almost now in a way like going back after a day's races. Like I can't wait for the buyers to come out that night to be like, okay, that horse that I thought was going to improve second time turf, did that horse improve? Oh, it did. Okay. So now I kind of have a better idea of what the training regimen and what the strategy is for that horse. That favorite I hit, he won. Okay. What did I mess up? Oh, I guess the other speed horse didn't break well. And this horse got a lone easy lead. So I can kind of chalk that up as, you know, something that I couldn't have foreseen happening. For sure. And that, that's one of the reasons too, that I, I enjoy the show um, going back and, Doing doing the doing that analysis and and uh, forcing yourself to maybe look at something that you didn't instead of just turning the page and and playing the, the next day's races. What kind of handicapper are you? Obviously, we talked the four pillars: class, form, pace, and speed. Figures. What what kind of handicapper are you? It's pace at the top. For me, um, how the horse goes about running that number says a lot for me and then how that's going to integrate into today's contest so it's it's pace is, is at the very top and then you want to see can he or she improve based upon what she's been doing is that class there is this you know a well-bred horse that looks to project up on the turf um or with the, the trainer and and sort of all those not ancillary but complementary pairings that I like to call so so pace I would start off with that for sure and then then sprinkle in all those other things class pace jockey and and kind of get a picture for today's race is is how I go about attacking the the races I I feel like I struggle the most with the four pillars uh pace for sure for me I'm much more of a class and speed figure guy when it comes down to pace you feel like you kind of get better results if you kind of like with the speed types or with the mid pack or with the closers, like when, when do you feel like you really can kind of dig in? Obviously uh, alone on the lead is an angle that, you know, everyone talks about. But for me, I feel like for people that can find those, you know, those ear 
EP types, if you're looking at Brisnets that, you know, can either win on the lead stalking, or if you can find those decent closers, you know, three or four times throughout the week, like that's how you really can key up some winning bets. For sure. I don't know where this really originated from, but I've got to just, you'd love to see a a closer coming out of the clouds, right? And it's just Mm -hmm. visually stimulating and it's it's great that's kind of where my first love began and it's like wait a second how did he not close well the horse was like you said alone on the lead and he got a breather the second quarter of the race and and he won easily so it's like ah you've got to figure out where that how that speed or that that closing kick is gonna place itself in today's race so um i really don't now that i've uh, maturing a little bit in in my pace handicapping is that based upon today's race, how is it, who's it going to benefit the best, whether it's at the front in the middle or, or the back. And uh, the races from Gulfstream this weekend were, <laughs> I got a good, uh, a good lesson in some of that won a couple and lost a couple of them due, due to how I was projecting on to, to what I would anticipate seeing today. I'll never forget. I don't think I've ever told this story on air. Uh, I used to go to a local OTB by me, uh, my dad was one of the bartenders. I think he had stopped bartending at this time, but I was still a young up-and-comer. And a couple uh, – I call them shady, but it's pretty funny. I guess they knew my father. They asked how he was. And they kept trying to you know, jibber-jabber at me throughout the day. And they, they said, come on over here, kid. We're going to give you a free lesson. And he sits me down. He's got these two these two goon-like fellows, you know, definitely bodyguards. So he must have been, you know, mob. I have still have no idea to this day what he was. He was definitely rich with money because he was, you know, drunk after about, you know – 32 minutes there, but he just, he goes, we'll, we'll give you the free lesson. They sit the past performance down, they go, here's the big circle, and we're going to talk to you about pace. And I, I remember, and I, dumb as a box of rocks I was, I said, bro, I've read six books on this, and I bet you I could out-handicap you any day of the week. And the guy looked at me so shocked, and I remember, and everyone else was kind of just quiet, and I left that day. And I don't think I showed up at that OTB for about a month, because I had no idea what I had started with. I come back, and the guys are like, yeah, you're lucky you didn't come back because they came back looking for you for five straight days. I'm like, well, see, I was dumb there and I was smart to not return. <laughs> oh, that's that's funny. That's pretty good, Spencer. Oh, let's talk kind of, we've talked, you know, pace and class. What about some angles? Do you have any favorite angles, especially for Gulfstream now that you're writing for it? Obviously, it's Pletcher and Saez. Are there any other, you know, maybe, you know, lower down the totem pole favorite riders or favorite trainers? No, it's... It, um... I find when I when I do that, I, I wind up potentially missing something. It's like, oh, here's my favorite angle, or I, I see, you know, I've got Saez on a, on a horse that likes to get to the front. That's that's going to be a good combination, and then I begin to to back off of it. So I've got some, um, but I don't like to I don't like to allow them to over whelm or take over my my handicapping it's like i, I want to do my diligence especially with the writing now hey don't leave out this horse or don't you know focus in on on Siaz and pletcher um i have noticed a couple of things um well speed right everyone says speed at Gulfstream, right it's it's um it's definitely a a weapon if you can get a horse on the turf especially um towards the front everyone potentially like me loves loves a closer on the turf, but they're at Gulfstream. If, if they can get be in and around the front and have some uh, ability to close, that's, that's one of my favorite, uh, angles as well as, uh, kind of just picking up on, on when jockeys are hot or not. Some of those guys are, uh, they can, they go through spells 
and uh, it looks like uh, Jose Ortiz is isn't I wouldn't say a funk, but he's definitely not riding as as well as he has in the past. There, um, so those are a couple that that uh, that kind of come to mind as as we sit here today on February first. I think Ed DeRosa dropped uh, what was interesting. Obviously, working for Brisnet, he uh, I think it was so far what jockeys last month, what their win percentage is, and Florent Giroux was. 35 something percent like it was just the next close guy i think was irat at 26 and when you see people riding like that and you're like well who has he been riding for well brad cox who's off i think it's like 40 percent so far to me at oakland that i've been riding for it's kind of hard when i keep leaving brad cox off my tickets and just like oh you idiot like stop trying to beat favorites when the guy is red hot i think that's an old acumen in some books where people go oh the rider's hot well i bet you if you look at who he's been riding for those barns are also hot and i think if you can find out what barns are hot and cooling off, like that will kind of help you. Like obviously when Pletcher a couple of years ago at Saratoga with the two-year-olds wasn't running well, you know, Johnny was one for his first 24 or something like that. And it was easy to, you know, everyone's betting Johnny V because they know the name and this guy is, you know, being beat by two, you know, uh, apprentice riders so far in the standings. For sure. Okay, Spencer, I've got a question for you and I, I haven't had anyone to be able to, to answer it yet and we'll do a I don't know like Pete says a production show in the middle of the production meeting <laughs> in the, in the middle of the show yeah right <laughs> why has I haven't seen like the Pegasus uh, a couple of weeks ago um, Chad Brown didn't have any any runners on the turf he had one um, runner I think over the course of, of this weekend that I was looking at in in the uh, graded turf type races is, is there something going on with with uh with mr brown and at this time of the year it was funny because my friend Vinny, who helps with the daily gallop i've known him for a couple of years he's a guy who follows new york pretty specifically and he said it seems like chad even since the end of saratoga last year has been kind of a funk so i said let me get home let me go on formulary i'll look it up and i mean he's he's been 24 percent since last last saratoga i i think it's interesting that everyone you know we always hear the complaining, you know, Chad's got four in here. Which one can you bet? I don't know why he doesn't have so many in right now. It's interesting to say for sure. I mean, when you look through the guy's barn, he's got just monsters here and there. I don't – I can't give you a reason why I have to go back, obviously, relook it. I can obviously reach out to you on, you know, Twitter, etc. I would say it's, it's more he's waiting for other spots. The fact that he didn't have anybody in the Pegasus, maybe he just didn't – you know, didn't have anyone ready. Obviously, Todd finishing first, third, and fourth was surprising. You know, we always hear, you know, Todd being the dirt guy and Chad being the turf guy. But maybe they're flip-flopping this year. Who knows? Maybe we're going to see more Chad on the dirt now going forward. And obviously, he's still going to have those turf runs. But maybe he's focusing more dirt heavy now in the beginning of the season. Yeah, good point. Well, something to, something to keep an eye on. Let's get started on these first couple of races. We kind of show you do the late pick five sequences as we had talked about. We're going to talk about the late pick three. We're going to start off race number 10 from Saturday at Gulfstream Park. It was the Swedish chant, a grade three going one mile on the turf. What'd you like in here, John? In this race, um, it was really keyed in. I thought that, um, that we'd have a lot of speed in this race. So um, my picks, to answer your question directly, were... The number two, Honey Pants, number four, Con Lima, and then the number six, Domain Expertise. Um, my A pick, if you will, out of those three would have been Honey Pants. Mm-hmm. Um, 
just based upon um, her running style and and how they looked last time, I thought that uh, she was trying to save ground but had a lot to, to go uh, to finish in the turn. And so she would have been there. Conlimo definitely looked like the speed of the speed um, and thought that she'd be able to get it and, and hold it and knew that, that she'd be tested today. Domain expertise was the one that uh, – this was a, a, the Chad. I think this was the – as we sp- – spoke about mr brown the uh the only chad brown runner that that uh, caught my eye over the weekend um she ran very well it was the first time out uh, she broke her maiden uh but but did it impressively so i didn't want to get beat by her so those are my picks in this race what about you how did you see i think when looking at these races and for me stakes are not my forte i'm much more of a maiden claiming guy i, I like how honey pants you know broke the maiden it wasn't a slow pace but then you see the big, big improvement in the Steward Manor to an 84. Then stretching her out, the Ginger Brew was a 76. We always know, though, you know, maybe Aqueduct in November, everyone says is one of the better meets for New York, but probably not facing the toughest there. Now it goes into Gulfstream where we know there are, you know, all the top turf horses are aiming. I thought she was one that was interesting. Con Lima, I have a thing for Paco Lopez. I think the guy, listen, everyone says he's, you know, crazy out there. He's trying to put jockeys over the rail and stuff. You know if you're going to get Paco, he's going to try. No matter what, you're going to get a ride that doesn't look like you're getting stiffed. And not that I agree that any jock stiffs, stiffs a race like some other people out there and the conspiracy theorists think. But Paco came on for the ginger brew, ended up winning that race by three. Irad was on the horse two back. And I think Pletcher just, you know, seeing... I think you have to upgrade Pletcher's turf runners, not in the long term, but just, you know, finishing so well like he did in the Pegasus. Maybe he's trained training differently and, you know, changing his form up in there. I loved White Frost. I've been a fan of Junior Alvarado. I was not sad to see him leave New York where I think he's a very good rider. I was happy to see him get his shot down here. But the maiden winner last time out at a route of ground, now second time turf. We kind of know what these other turf horses are doing so far. Those, you know, mid-80s, you know, low-80s. This one ran a 79 first time out. There's no reason why this horse can't improve even more. I was against one of your picks, Domain Expertise. Like we had said, Chad, you know, hasn't been really, you know, around in these types of races lately. But just the 73 last time was a little bit low. Gallardo was on, and it was also at Tampa. I'm not saying that, you know, a Tampa runner can't come over here and ship in and win. But just I didn't like the buyer number. I didn't like the fact that this horse had to, you know, go to Tampa to break the maiden. Obviously, if Chad thought he had a good runner, that horse would be at Gulfstream. So for me, I was definitely much more white frost, cone lima, and a little bit of honey pants. When you were looking at it from a wagering perspective, I know you had said the uh, the A's. Do you ever play anything vertically or anything like win play show, or is it mostly just now playing the pick fours and pick fives? It's only when the, the opportunity presents itself. I just don't have a feel yet for um, for the, the verticals. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's like I can see the winner, and then based upon – uh, how it, how everything plays out, you can get just chaos on the back. And I'm like, where did this horse come from? He mm-hmm. was like projected to do nothing, but they went too fast. They went too slow or got trapped inside. So I, it, it it's not really my, my niche. So it's not that I don't play them. I'll play an exact here or there when I was like, okay, this guy should really be able to close. But, but outside of third and fourth, I'm, I'm, I'm just throwing darts. Let's see who can win this grade three here in the 10th right now. And they're off in the sweetest chance to 
From between horses, Candace O was away alertly. Here's Cone Lima moving on to take her. Here's Lioness of Brittany on the far outside, and director's cut will be widest of all, as now it's Cone Lima who emerges between horses to take the advantage. Up on the outside, Lioness of Brittany, the gray is keen, and now racing into second from Candace O, who's down at the rail third, followed by White Frost, who saves ground under Junior Alvarado, a bit headstrong and trying to settle down. In between horses, Domain Expertise, wide on the course and director's cut, then Queen of the Green, and Honey Pants is last of all as they angle into the backstretch. The opening quarter was 24 seconds flat, a bit flat-footed at the break. Cone Lima settles down on top, leads by a length and a quarter. Lioness of Brittany is second. At the rail, Candace O is third, wide on the course, director's cut. Still really no place to go for White Frost, bracketed in by Domain Expertise, followed by Queen of the Green. And if Honey Pants wins, she'll pass seven rivals in less than half a mile through a 48-1 opening half mile. They leave the backstretch and move on to the far turn. Cone Lima still has the lead. Three wide director's cut. Lioness of Brittany is between horses. Candace O is next, followed by Domain Expertise. White Frost is still looking for some place to go. Alvarado thinking about trying to knife between horses. A gap of two to Queen of the Green, then Honey Pants as they run to the top of the stretch. Three quarters, 111 and three. They turn for home. White Frost is finally in the clear, and she's charging hard now, trying to get Cone Lima with an eighth of a mile to go. White Frost out in the center, striding forward to take the lead. Cone Lima right alongside second. Domain Expertise is third, but White Frost is nine to two, and she's a winner by a length and a half in the end. Cone Lima was second. Domain Expertise finished third in 134. And two. And then number five, White Frost gets it done second time turf, paying $11 with an 84 buyer. Cone Lima runs second. Domain Expertise running third. So you had two of the three. I, I just, what made you not pick White Frost? Was it just that you thought the first number just wasn't high enough? or? Yeah, the, the first number was, was subpar. Of course, you look for improvement after the, that first time on a turf, and, and Bill Mott can, you know, train ptf and jonathan in a in a horse suit but um it, it's for me it was the pace how that again how that number was ran the, the first was very pedestrian the second one picked it up a little bit but but came on gangbusters at the end and i thought if she tries that here potentially she's going to come up a little bit short so that was why i, I didn't include her there when you see chad finishing third obviously domain expertise improved from a 73 to a 79 is this a horse that you think that maybe has kind of like found the level maybe this horse needs to win the optional allowance real quick and then come right back up into the grade three because obviously when they're running mid 80s that's kind of right around you know a better optional claiming field or you know the grade three a week of grade three would be yeah it, it's i think the jury's still out i think definitely the the breeding is it is um something that they could project this horse and she's in obviously very good good hands with chance maybe she's she's not there yet to be that top tier but i, I wouldn't i wouldn't write her off at all uh cone lima running second kind of ran that same buyer right back out of the ginger brew I, I will say this the white frost ride from junior was fantastic just had absolutely no place to go the entire race and then finally got uh alive on the outside there coming around the far turn and just kind of exploded and we, we didn't see, obviously, as big improvement. We went from 51 to a 79 the first time out, now 79 to an 84. And I think in this type of field, did just enough to get the job done. I think if this horse ends up in a grade 2 or a possible grade 1 next time out, just needs to improve immensely more. I don't know if she'll just be there yet. Agreed on, on all those, Spencer. Let's move on to race number 11, the grade 3 Holy Bull. Kentucky Derby points are on the line, going 1 and 1 miles 
on the dirt. What'd you like in here, John? In here, Spencer, I um I really like the the three year old races at, at this time of the year, um, especially when when you're potentially looking at horses that are going to contend to to be in the the biggest race in North America in the Derby. Um, so project it's all about projections here for me because they they haven't done a whole lot. And I'm a, a student of the form and like to see what they've done in the past. A lot of these these guys are, are lightly raced and and the trainers have been kind of saving them for their opportunity here. So, um, enjoy it. The, my selections in this race were the three Papa two, uh, number four amount and number six prime factor. Uh, if I had to, to pick one of the, the three, it, it really would have been, uh, Papa two would have been my, my a horse. Um, it, had those really two impressive races as a two year old and, uh, ran into, they put him into Greatest Stakes Company and uh, Jackie's Warrior was, was just those those races. Uh, gave him a little bit of time off, came back and ran uh, a good second in the Mucho Macho Man Stakes. So that was um, where I projected this horse was okay. He's got the he's got the back class. He's he's done well as a two year old. A little time off, projection up. Any any step forward here, he would he would give him a a good shot. The only thing that i saw from a pace perspective you anticipated this to this to be hot you had a lot of uh runners that were attempting to stretch out and uh and run decent to fast times in in six for long races and now we're uh try, attempting to stretch out so you anticipated this this really getting a, a really strong pace up front and uh the other factors kind of went into to me picking uh, the number four and the number six to go along with with Papa two the three. I think when you look at Prime Factor overall, just that really solid solid maiden win and something I'm trying to get better at with the pace is obviously pace figures from time form and you know went, ran the 108 to start off and finished with a 108. So you know kind of didn't slow down, which was which was nice to see from a pace perspective like that. Uh, I saw Papa two. I forget who said on social media. It might have even been Andy Serling said. Uh, he, hasn't, he didn't really want anybody out of the Mucho Macho Man, so I kind of took that into accord. I think, too, seeing Jackie's Warrior winning at 7-6, and six, I think we kind of know what kind of monster he is there, but not so much going longer, obviously. So I was trying to avoid Papa, too. I, I thought the horse was, you know, fine out of the Mucho Macho Man 20-1, but just didn't know if we were going to see that same kind of push today. I Amount, to me, was one that had a... Just run a little bit too slow for me, and seeing you know obviously Irad gets the choice and jumps on Prime Factor, so that kind of made that easier for me. The only other one I won out of this race was Greatest Honor. The maiden win last time out, second time routing, just slow improvement. You know how many times have we seen Shug do this? 72, 77, 79, 83, and obviously with odds on in that last win, this one I think was just you know obviously I think they were aiming for points here, but if they if they could get get a second or a third, you know, that would be good enough as they, you know, go to get ready for, you know, Florida Derby and everything else down the line. What were your thoughts on greatest honor? I, I had him listed as a, as a timid pass on the, on my write up here. Spencer, the only, I, I saw the tactical ability. Um, I was just questioning that it was against maiden company mm-hmm. and could he do that today again with that projected, my, envisioning the race being a, a fast contest could either be good or bad. And, and if he couldn't close in to that fast pace, 
he would be an exclude if he could then then he'd win by by two or three so he was a timid pass for me let's see if we can get some derby points here in race 11 right now and they're off in the holy bull Excellent beginning for Willie Boy from down toward the inside. The big favorite, Prime Factor, is away in good shape. He's four wide to the turn. Amount is in the two path, and Tarantino is three wide. And it's a length and a half to Papa Two, who races inside of Awesome Jerry. Greatest honor is third last. Girofoli's is second last, and the early trailer is sitting on go. As they race around the first turn, Willie Boy has the lead. He leads by an neck. Up on the outside, Tarantino is there. Second, the big favorite, Prime Factor, is third, while three wide. Then his barn buddy, Amount, is racing from fourth. Awesome Jerry on the outside is there, fifth, and Papa Two in greatest honor. Girofoli's is still second last, and the trailer is sitting on go as they complete the opening quarter mile in 23 and 1. They head to the first finish line with Willie Boy in front. Tarantino keeps the heat on in second, and Prime Factor has had a sweet trip. He's now third. Amount is there, fourth. Awesome Jerry in greatest honor between horses. Papa Two is at the rail. Three back to sitting on go, and now the trailer is Girofoli's with inside half a mile to the finish. To the far turn, they race Tarantino on the outside of Willie Boy. Prime factor, poised to strike, and he's not been given the green light yet. From third and on the inside, Papa Two alongside Greatest Honor. Amount is called it a day, sitting on go, has ten lengths to raise, and less than five-sixteenths to raise it, as now the pace quickens. Prime factor is up to challenge Tarantino. Greatest Honor throws his hat into the ring on the far outside, and he's charging hard. Greatest Honor has taken the lead now. Less than a quarter of a mile to go, and Greatest Honor starts to get away. Prime Factor didn't have much of a punch when he was called on. Tarantino's going to try to fight him off for second, but they're all battling for minor placings behind Cortland Farms' greatest honor. He's an easy winner under Jose Ortiz. Five in front in the end. Tarantino fought back for second. Prime Factor was third. Then Papa Two in 143. And the number seven, greatest honor, does win, paying 760 with an 89 buyer. More improvement. One horse we didn't talk about that much was... Uh, the number eight sitting on go. I just had, like I said, the Santa Anita podcast with uh, Magic from the Magic Mike show, and we were talking about Spielberg. And I kind of feel like this is the Spielberg of the East, one that, you know, won that race early on and just hasn't really shown much sense. Agreed. Agreed. And uh, being showing so much promise as a, as a youngster and then just, just not getting over the hump. Um, one of the ones that I really took out from from this running Spencer was was and I look back and and I still this is one where when when I do my rewind I, I still can't see it and and but curious is to see as to what he's going to do going forward number five Tarantino um, my angle and this is kind of I guess a negative angle is that um, when you see Bob Baffert put one on the turf it's like okay well he's not he's not potentially Bob doesn't know what to do with him he's not going to going to make the derby trail uh, that was a, a a red flag for me and uh and this is worse but he ran really well in this race i thought i uh i have been sleeping on the couch the last two nights because my fiance's last name is tarantino and she obviously now plays races and when i said like oh your, your horse ran like how'd it do ran second paid you know 1460 to place and uh yeah, so I've been on the couch for the last few days. Um, it's just <laughs> when you see, and I, I I agree with the Bob thing. When Bob goes to the turf, it's not it's not the angle you're looking for. We talked about uh, on the Santanita podcast, Mark Glatt being a dirt sprint trainer. I, I I tell people if you have formulator, go down the rabbit hole one one night with a track that you follow, and just take the top ten trainers and just you know look over everything: dirt, turf. Are they claiming trainers? How do they do with first time out starters? And I think we can really pinpoint, you know, what someone does well. And obviously we know Bob is good on the dirt, not so good on the turf. 
I would have been more worried if they went to the dirt second time out. The fact that they kind of kept him on turf, maybe they just thought it was the turf horse and ran fine in the Zuma Beach for Bob, finishing second by a nose. Uh, Rudy Brissett, solid trainer for me that I think people, you know, kind of like Anthony, uh, Anthony, Antonio Sano, they kind of like overlook. Mm-hmm. The win last time out was fine. This comes down to, you know, the pedigree, you know, Pioneer of the Nile, Empire Maker, seeking the gold. You know, we'll have to see how far this horse wants to go. But when you're, when you're kind of, you know, not knowing what to do in this type of race and you're looking for underneath horses, this is the type of horse. Why is a turf horse in a, you know, derby prep race? They just want to see what they could get out of this horse. And this horse now running second. I don't think we're going to see him on the turf next time. I think we're going to see if they can get some more derby points and possibly get into the gate. Agreed. When looking uh, at Papa Two, your top pick, what do you think went wrong? Uh, it's it's tough to say. Um, when I look back initially, it was I thought maybe he didn't get the best ride, and I look and I say, okay, it was Lionel Reyes. It's not the the top jock there. I don't think necessarily he did anything wrong. Maybe could have been a little bit more aggressive. Um, it was all trip, I believe. Um, he 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 was back a little bit further than than where he he needed to be for that uh, kick, uh, mild kick of his to be effective. I think he was just in the, in the second flight where he should have been uh, up a little bit closer, more to the pace. Are you a little bit more worried about the bounce? We see that big, obviously, 87 sticks out like a sore thumb, but now kind of came back down into the you know mid to low 70s with this race. Maybe that Mucho Macho Manny was just feeling his oats that day, and maybe we'll never get back up to that kind of race. Very well could have been, too. And, and this was going you know a little bit longer. Um, he had done... Uh, all his other races before were were more sprint types, and uh, so could be one to uh, to avoid next time if he if he continues on. Let's move on to the last race of the pod, race number twelve. It was the finale. It was a claiming thirty five thousand going one mile on the turf. The conditions are for four year olds and up, which have never won three races or one that have not won a race in six months. This is just one of my favorite races. Conditions are sometimes hard to read for a beginner. Always, for me, I always read the conditions first, and I, I like that they can add a bunch of different horses. we got a nice full field here for the finale here at Gulfstream. Definitely. this. Uh, I agree. These are these are fun races. You have uh, a lot of horses with back class. You've got some that, uh, that are kind of just being effective at that level and, and trying to sort it all out on the, on the turf. Like you said, having a, a full field, it was, uh, it was a fun one to, to handicap. What did uh, what'd you like in here? What were your A's, B's, timid passes? Um, A's, I like number 11, uh, Blameless. Um, again, we talked about uh, angles, and one of the ones that, that I lean on heavily is, is post position, and it's like, okay, how is this going to, to affect the horse? Sometimes an inside and outside on turf races at Gulfstream, depending on um, the, the distance, you know, you're you're starting right in, into the first turn, and how is that going to affect the horse? And so I have a tendency to try and beat those horses or see reasons why they can't. Um, Blameless for me was was very much one of the best horses in the race, but how he was going to be affected by by being on the outside. Um, and then with Johnny V being on him, I said, look, Pender, you're you're getting beat by these horses on the outside too <laughs> many times. So let's go ahead and include him. Um, so he was my A. Um, I couldn't get away from Tusk uh, just being because he was dropping so much. Uh, he had shown a lot of uh, 
good early speed in, in races like this before, and they put him in grade, graded stakes company. Um, he started, he actually won a grade three, um, gave him, it was almost, he was off for a year. And so he's now coming back and they put him back into that graded stakes level and now dropping him back to a level where he had been uh, really effective. So um, didn't like the, the most recent form, but thought the back class potentially could show up. And then he had excellent, you know, connections at Safi Joseph and, and Tyler, who who's Mr. Gulfstream right now. So he was a, a B I couldn't get away from. And then I also like uh, the number eight Harbor Master. This one I thought uh, lacked the early speed to, to be effective, but it, with my anticipation of it being uh, a, a fast race, I thought that that uh, this one could could get up. So those are my my three choices: eleven at, as the A five, and then number eight. These types of races, like I said, are some of my favorite. And what a lot of people do is they try to you know they want to find the one winner of the race instead of kind of looking you know for the group of contenders. And f- for me. Fig Jelly stood out to me not as a horse that could win, but just when you're two thirteen two and thirty starts, and you love second like this, and you're playing exactus <laughs> and not including this horse in second. I don't know what else I have to do except for you know circle it and marker and then highlighter and do everything else. This is a horse, uh, fifty thousand claimer last time, ran fourth, lost by three lengths at nine to one. So you're getting those solid prices. He was forty five to one two back since the. Uh, the change of the Nota brothers. I'm, I'm hoping they're brothers. Maybe they're just cousins. But you have a horse that's getting, you know, quote-unquote forgotten on the board that can really spice up an exotic for you. And even if you don't play exactas, you have to realize, you know, if you're not playing exactas or trifectas, okay, this horse should be an automatic cross-out because he loves second. It doesn't matter how good he does because he just always seems to get beat by that one horse. I'm all over blameless with you. All these other droppers in here, Everyone says, oh, a dropper always does better than the risers. And this is a race where I feel like it's a little bit different. Uh, coming out of that 35,000 race, you know, slow improvement since the layoff, 68, 81, 82, 84. I think Michael Matz finally found the right level. I think Johnny V, like you had said, you know, can always come with a good pace-driven ride and was one that I wanted to include. The outside post, obviously, very scary. Tusk, for me, was an automatic toss because I just, when you look at the PPs, and you see Emerald with a 91, Tropical Turf with a 97. And the long laugh, and oh wait, we're just replaying the last year's races, and you see 84-81. I think this horse has lost a step. I think Safi was dropping, and it just, alarm bells were going off in my head. Fire sale, they're trying to just get this horse claimed away. And at 8, when you kind of see those, you know, declining numbers, maybe they've just had it at that point. And, you know, great career, 400000 in the bank. Nothing wrong with that. My top pick was financial system for Kelly Breen. Gets claimed from claims him away from Chad, four back. They go into grade three off the board at Monmouth. They bring the horse back off the layoff in the slop and you know, showed some decent speed for sixty two at eight to one and off the board and I think that race for fifty thousand two back wasn't bad. And obviously now gets dropped below the claiming price they they bought uh they bought the gelding for, and I just feel that they were dropping, not looking to 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 give away. I thought they were looking to drop for the win, and that's what's so hard about these races. If you can figure out what trainers and when they're dropping to win compared to just dropping for a fire sale, your profits will go way up. Agreed, Spencer. We kind of look. I had the same 
<laughs> inclination on on financial system that you did on Tusk. I I I had red flags on 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 the continual drops. It's like he was competitive. If he ran his race or you know, he didn't do awful in that uh in that 62 claimer. Um why now again was a drop was mm-hmm. uh was the the forecast the outlook for me. So, we were we saw opposites on this one. Let's see if me or John are correct on the winner or if we were just completely all over the place here in the finale here at Gulfstream right now. And runners away. Clean and level beginning. Soon after the start, Fig Jelly and Blameless from their outside gates trying to work over with Dundalk showing speed at the fence. These three now across the course. Taken in hand fourth is Honey Won't, followed fifth by Tusk. A gap of two and a half to financial system who's toward the rail. Harbor Master's a bit deep on the course, and Troubling Moon is between them. Three more to Monongahela, who's racing second last, and the early trailer is willing to speed. And the charge around the first turn, Amisai Alharamio and Dundalk have the lead. Fig Jelly keeps the heat on second. Blameless on the outside is a clear third with Honey Won't parked at the rail fourth. Back to fifth is the Gray Tusk. Outside of him goes Harbor Master. Down at the rail, financial system has a neck advantage over Troubling Moon, and it's a gap of three more to Monongahela, and still at the back is willing to speed. That's the ten of them half a mile from home, the opening half mile in a strong 46 seconds as Dundalk letting it all hang loose. He leads a length and a half. Fig Jelly is second, Blameless is third, Honey Won't is fourth. Up to fifth goes Harbor Master, outside of the race favorite, Tusk. He starts to hit high gear now, but he's better than seven lengths off the lead while needing to quicken. Down at the rail goes Financial System, then Troubling Moon. Still at the back, Monongahela and Willing to Speed is last as they try to get Dundalk. Three quarters, 109 and three, and Dundalk is all in as Fig Jelly powers past to take the lead. Honey Won't trying to split horses late down the center, Blameless. Late run from Troubling Moon. Final 16th of a mile. Dundalk is so game. Fig Jelly right alongside. Blameless is next, but over the top. Troubling Moon is gobbling up ground. Here's the finish. It's too close to call. And the number 11, Blameless, gets it done from that outside post, paying 12.40 with an 85 buyer. We were just talking off here how we should have had the trifecta or something. Second place had just run behind Blameless, and Fig Jelly ran a good third. It's just, and this is what happens, you know, when you get so asphyxiated on a horse like Fig Jelly to run second, you kind of forget and. It's right there in the PPs. If you like Blameless, you're supposed to like Troubling Moon here, aren't you? Definitely, without a doubt. It, uh, it was something that, uh, from again, from my and anyone following um, all, all two of the people who are reading my blog. No, just kidding. Um, if you see me potentially uh, pass on a horse, it's not because he or she's not a good runner. It's just potentially I'm, I'm just focusing on those horizontal bets and just utilizing that focus of, of a winner. Uh, to kind of weed out some of the other ones. I think something I used to do as well in my writing when I was writing more for Scott was I would do four horses and I picked the top two as my best, you know, horizontal. And then the two horses underneath would be like my vertical ads and they'd be, you know, sometimes 15, 20 to one. People would be like, why are you adding these horses that are finishing seventh and eighth? Well, they're not supposed to win the race. They're only supposed to hit the board. And, you know, I would get so much flack for that. I feel too, when we look at, you know, my idea on Tusk and your idea with financial system, we were both correct and they both ran bad. (laughs) It happens sometimes when you uh, when you're right, you're you're right, and uh, unfortunately, you know, us being being right on, on on both of these, it didn't. Neither one of us got any <laughs> any got any value out of being wrong about them. I, I will say this: looking back at Blameless at five to one, Troubling Moon nine to one. You know, I I obviously being my topic being financial system, it's hard. Could I have played the double d- double win bet and win bet and add Blameless? 
Yeah, but I just I thought financial system would kind of have a more edge. You obviously and me as well worry about the outside post. In this race, if you don't like Tusk, I think you have to find two horses and kind of do the double win bet here just because, and people will, trust me, be all over me, the the positive EV police. <laughs> I, I need to see the ball go through the hoop, and if you've been getting your, you know, your ass handed to you for the whole day and you find two horses here and you pick the wrong one, I mean, you go to bed just miserable, which is, in the, it's the same thing with Naira back in the day when they had the 12-horse maiden fields to end the pick six and pick five. I would, you know, play two horses a lot in that race, and I end up at least, you know, having one of them. And of course, obviously, price matters. And I think in one of the old books, you have to have them both be over three to one. I think I miss a really big chance here to, you know, kind of, you know, walk out with some money here. Yeah, for sure. And and value is such a, it's such a, uh, um, I call it microscoped type of term right mm-hmm. if just because i don't have value potentially in this race but i've got you know i hit a, a bomb or two in, in in a couple of races before and I've, I've got it here to try and finish out that pick four pick five that's that's value for me because i can potentially you know just have one or two horses so it's all relative i, th- I think too another thing ed dropped today was you know what the favorites are hitting at you know percentage wise so far for the first uh months of the year and, you know, Charlestown was up to 40%. I think Gulfstream was 34%. So for everyone who says, you know, like, it's chalk all the time. It's, you know, it used to be 30%. Now it's up to 34 So, yeah, it's going a little bit upward in trajectory. But you still have to be right. You know, a favorite's going to win one in three races. There was, you know, there was 12 races. So there should be four favorites on that card. Now, I didn't look up to see how many favorites won. But when you look at Santa Anita for the short fields, you know, six of the eight races, first or second choice won. It's just finding value on certain days, like, was I going to put more money into Gulfstream on Saturday or Santa Anita? Well, A, it depends on what I like better in the card. I actually ended up liking more horses at Santa Anita, so I put more of my bankroll into it. It all comes down to, you know, it's like JK says, put the ball through the hoop, make money that way, but just know that you're going to be wrong seven other times out of the ten races, and make sure the three times you're right that you, you know, make up for those losses. Definitely, definitely. And it's it's something that, you know, at the end of the day, I think I think we all enjoy and, uh, as much time as and effort as as we put into it. You know, you, you're gonna you're gonna be right. You're gonna be wrong. Speaking of spending time, Spencer, before we go, I know um, we got to run here. I got to let your listeners know about uh, a conversation I had with my son after listening to uh, to one of your shows with Brad Free. Do you have a moment? I do. Absolutely. Let's hear it. <laughs> okay. So I'm I'm a fan of you know in the money more so. In, back in the day and, and now that I'm writing and I'm not biased, it's, you know, everyone has great content. So I'm, I'm always listening. The kids get in the car and picking them up from practice. And uh, he thinks he's an aspiring comedian uh, anyway. So I'm, I'm listening to, to Redboard Rewind and, and uh, you and, and Mr. Brad Free are talking about books. And he gets in and, and he's putting his stuff down and he's, Dad, how was your day? And it's like, all right, it was it was good. And um He's moving around and looking for something to, to continue the conversation with. And he stops and he says, wait a second. Did that guy just say kinky handicapping? He's like, is that, is that why you're spending so much time at the track? I was like, boy, if you don't have to stop. That He's is... talking about a book. <laughs> <laughs> there is, uh, the, the dungeon is actually the BDSM lounge over there at Santa Anita, apparently. <laughs> That's where we're getting all this stuff from. That is too priceless. It's, you know, and it's funny because everyone, you know, th- that book came up and, you know, afterwards people were like, oh, where can we get this book? And I said, 
go look on Amazon because I'm sure it's $600 still because that book has been out of print. And I've told the story plenty of times when I found it, it was 34 bucks and I've never bought it faster. You know, I think, I think PTF has a copy, you know, if people come down and want to, you know, read it for a day at Saratoga, I have no problem lending it out. Just make sure you get it back to me. Cause that's like, you know, pretty much encased in gold now at this point for me. Sounds good. Yeah, I did after listening to that and went out there and looked and yeah, I think like the best, copy and, and it this thing looked like it had been <laughs> been used a, uh-huh. a lot uh it was like 80 90 bucks on yeah. ebay yep so that is all the time we have for today's podcast after that wonderful story make sure you go check out john's write-ups on in the money and also once he hits a pick four pick five we will be you know reimbursing everyone with that pick two t-shirt from old smoke clothing where can we find you on social media john I love it. I love it. I am at horseplayer31 on Twitter. Make sure to go check that out. We're going to have more stuff coming from In The Money. Super excited. Haven't really decided who I'm going to have on next week. I'm sure. I don't know if I'm doing a podcast or two. That will be out shortly. Uh, Good luck in the write-ups, John. Good luck at Gulfstream, and uh, we'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks, Spencer. Bye-bye. And now, let's give the mic to Barry Meadow for this week's Skeptical Handicapper tip. Also, don't forget, you can buy Skeptical Handicapper at trpublishing.com or Amazon. This is Barry Meadow with this week's Skeptical Handicapper Tip. For many handicappers, a lone speed horse, also called the lone front runner or the lone F, is the best bet in racing. Ideally, the lone speed horse sets the tone for the race, relaxes unchallenged on the front end, enters the stretch with a lead, and has plenty left for the finish. It's not simply enough that a horse seems to be the only front runner in the field. For instance, If he can go to the half in 45 while nobody else can break 46, that's a good start. But if he has no final time below 113, while everybody else can easily go 111, he probably won't win. Likewise, if he's out of shape coming off a long layoff or with a questionable work pattern, today may not be his day either. The best type of lone F has the following characteristics. He is the only front runner in the field. There are no mystery entrants, first time starters, first time stretch outs, shippers, foreigners, etc. If in a route, he has an inside post. He is not bucking an anti-speed bias. He has had previous success at the distance. He shows competitive figures and has entered in the right class. He has no knocks on form. He did not race in front in his last race, possibly confusing handicappers as to his true stature as a confirmed frontrunner, and he is not the race favorite. I'm Barry Meadow, author of The Skeptical Handicapper, using data and brains to win at the racetrack. Thanks again to Barry Meadow. Thanks to the listeners. And thanks again also to my special guest, John Pinder, for talking some Gulfstream racing with me. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's president is Pierre Thomas Forentale. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. And our In The Money Media business manager is Drew Cotney. I'm Spencer Luganbuehl, and we will see you next time. Nowhere to hide from all of this battle.